When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. The podcast not for turning. Strike up the band. We offered him some cake or a biscuit. Oliver Letwin brought the snacks himself, Viennese biscuits. I think it sort of shrinks him. I just think he, think he it'd needs be better it. if he was round. Yes, here we are again. It's how to win an election. Your insider's guide to the huge political year ahead. I'm Matt Chorley, joined as ever by new Labour mastermind uh, Peter Mandelson, Tory Brainbox Daniel Finkelstein, and beaming in. Via satellite technology, Policy McKenzie, Polly McKenzie. Uh, morning, Polly. Morning, Matt. I'm sorry that I am at the Sadler's Wells Theatre doing my real job. Doing your one-woman show. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm a ballet dancer in my spare time, but I don't mention <laughs> Coalition negotiations to the medium of dance. Uh, but anyway, it's nice that, you, nice that you've joined us anyway, Polly. And uh, Peter and Daniel are here as well. If you want to send us questions, you can email howtowin at thetimes.co.uk. Even better, if you, e- if you email us a voice note. Uh, and I think next week we might try and do a whole load of listener questions. If you've got a burning question for the panel, email us howtowin at thetimes.co.uk. Uh, now, um, it seems like the Labour Party have been listening to the podcast, but they can't work out whether or not to agree with Peter or to agree with Danny on the question of uh, the £28 billion pledge to spend on green projects by the end of the next Parliament. Here is what Peter was saying about it uh, more than a month ago. The concept was absolutely sound. I support it. I personally wouldn't have chosen a figure uh, because I think that your ability to pursue uh, this uh, policy of investment will depend on the economic circumstances at the time. And therefore, to sort of announce, pre-announce a figure so far in advance uh, was, was not realistic. So that was what Peter said. And this uh, very day, Keir Starmer speaking to Times Radio. I've been unwavering in relation to the mission, clean power by 2030. And I keep getting challenges from people saying, you're moving the date back. That mission um, of clean power by 2030, I haven't moved that date back at all. Very, And I'm very clear we need investment to do that. We need to borrow to invest to do that. That's a principle yeah. I believe in and I'm absolutely happy to go out and defend. Um, and of course, what we've said as we got closer to the operationalization of this is that'll have to be ramped up. The money will have to be ramped up, the 28 billion, etc. And everything is, of course, subject to our fiscal rules. So the 28 billion, etc. You sticking to the number, Peter? Look, I think what we've got to distinguish is between borrowing and investment. I support the investment. 
I, I want to achieve the clean power goal by 2030. I want to achieve net zero by 2050. And by the way, between now and 2050, you're going to be spending and investing an enormous amount, more than 28 billion, in order to achieve this energy transition as a whole. And by the way, from that is going to come, I hope, you know, some significant reindustrialization of our country, the use of new <coughs> technologies, new industries being built on the back of them, new businesses being created and new jobs. And that's, that's what I want to see. But here's the point, Matt. That investment, and it's the investment we should be focused on rather than defining uh, the success of Labour's policy by how much borrowing can be undertaken. It's the achievement, that, the investment that we achieve that's the most important thing. And that is going to come from a mixture of public and private. But since that commitment was made, the cost of borrowing, thank you, uh, Liz Truss, has gone through the roof, and that has to be taken into account. And secondly, it's become very clear over the last few years that the private sector is queuing up to undertake investment in our green uh, transition. So in, we are going to be relying much more on private investment yeah, than public than, we than, than was originally yeah. thought, and that's why the figures uh, uh, need to be adjusted in order to reflect that. It's a very good answer from Peter there, ignoring the fact he said he, should, he shouldn't have put a figure on it. And Peter, uh, Keir Starmer's <laughs> sticking to the figure. What do you think about this, this, this well, uh, was, debate, very public debate, has been going on at the Labour Party. Uh, should they have put a figure on I was desperately hoping you were going to replay my clip so I could remember what I'd actually said uh, so that I don't contradict myself. I think you said that you thought that probably putting a figure on it was a bad idea, but having put a figure on it, you should stick to it. Yeah, um, I, 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 I favour the reassurance strategy, but I think that, that once they're on this, they may as well stick with it. Look, I, the... the the bottom line, you'd probably expect me to say this, is I don't think this is going to move the dial a lot. <laughs> um, and, and the reason for it, and uh, the reason daddy, for it is because I think people have got a, um, a sort of reasonably, uh, a, re a stronger view of Starmer than they have of Sunak. Um, they want to remove the Conservative Party from government. They're probably not going to get themselves too stuck um, on a one policy, as long as the overall image is that they're being relatively careful. It's certainly an opening. I wouldn't have led on 28 billion. I can't really quite understand why you would want to keep on using phrases like ramp up. Uh, I think those are really bad phrases. Um, and, you know, it would also obviously be a good idea if when we're going to borrow that amount of money, we had a clearer idea that it would be well spent, even though the objectives sound like good ones green something or other right uh, you know so so that that um uh, uh, my view is generally speaking uh you have more latitude in government to to carry out these policies than you do in opposition where uh, the kind of change seems threatening people are loss averse um but actually i i think in circumstances where labor's move you know i think labor does have a danger of running for office saying this situation is absolutely terrible. Let's be sure to do nothing about it. And I, so I therefore do think having some emblematic policies is, is not... You, Again, you can live with the downsides it, of it. Nobody's saying this is absolutely terrible, you know, let's run away from it. We're saying this is a huge opportunity... Uh, for the country if we get this transition right. And by yeah. the way, there are so many moving parts in it which affect energy consumers, yeah, car drivers, homeowners, businesses. Well, I suppose no, no, what I'm saying is the and, and what, it. It's very exciting. We can get an enormous amount from the country from it if we do it yes. well, but it requires ambitious levels of, uh, of investment, 
Sorry. And overwhelmingly, the bulk of that investment is going to come from the private sector, not from yes, public sorry. borrowing. I didn't okay, make myself, clear. I didn't make myself yeah, as yeah. clear as I should. I'm not saying, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the policy here. I'm talking about the, the Labour Party potentially saying, look, the Tories are running the country really badly and everything's falling apart, but uh, we haven't got very ambitious plans mm. to put in place. So you, you probably do have to have some alternative... Um, program yeah, that people yeah. can recognise. I just think leading all the time on the number and using phrases like ramping up. Well, let's let's Danny, let's Phil, Phil Collins wrote a very good article in the Times yeah. yesterday about this and he said you don't do politics by numbers and he's right. Yeah, Polly, uh, what do you think about this? Because the some of the criticism, while some on the in the on the Labour front bench should be very keen they should drop the number and it's become an albatross and it's just a reason to attack. If they do drop this as a big idea, there is not a lot else going on. I think policy uh, is often talked about in numbers and it's talked about in input numbers. Uh, I'm going to put £28 billion in. You know, Gordon Brown's uh, budgets were always characterised by him just listing the billions. And he would always say three billions and 19 billions. And he would add them up and talk about how much money he was putting in. Uh, Boris Johnson would always talk about how the number of people he was hiring and hire some nurses and build some hospitals and do some stuff. And they do that because, oddly enough, it seems to work quite well with the public as a way of understanding things and understanding mechanisms. But of course, the inputs aren't what matter. What matters is the destination, the goal. And that kind of thinking is what Keir Starmer is trying to shift towards when he talks about missions. The idea what matters is clean energy by 2030. And I mean, honestly, like if it was 27 and a half billion, would be go, oh, so you totally failed. You didn't put the right amount of money in. Equally, if it costs 35 billion, we have to get there. And and it's a shame because I think Keir Starmer is genuinely onto something with a different approach to policymaking. But he's undermining that story by just sort of talking about inputs. Yeah. And, and that's actually not where the difference is made. Well, we'll wait and see if, uh, if it's changed by next week. Um, Polly... You know, I know you said you were at Saddlers Wells. Are you actually at PopCon? <laughs> oh, my God. Under the radar at PopCon. No, it is not my style. You're not, you're, you're not the big defector for Liz Truss's launch of pop, popular popular conservatism. Do we need another group, Danny? <laughs> no, look, I, 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 you know, you have to admire... Uh, Liz's chutzpah. Um, <laughs> you do. Uh, it's extraordinary. Um, it, you know, the... the, the to be honest, to, to place the label, and first of all, to place the label popular on the, anything yeah. that she's associated should with. should be is, unpopular. Exactly. So <laughs> it is odd. But secondly, um, it, it's obvious that you cannot get a new mission for the Conservative Party out of attachment to Liz, whether or not her arguments um, have value to, and you know, when other Conservatives believe in them, she cannot be the front person for it. That that must, that I cannot understand how that is not obvious to our allies, and perhaps it is, yeah. you know, which is why it's been accompanied by quasi Kwarteng deciding to stand down uh, from Parliament and at the same time um, Simon Clark deciding he's not going to go. Um, so, so I think Simon Clark was uninvited after he called for which he soon had to go. Uh, Vanil Jawadina announced yesterday that he wasn't. So uh, when they first announced this a couple of weeks ago, the lineup was uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg, Liz Truss, Simon Clark, and Manuel Chardina. And uh, unpopular conservatives have become less popular in the last two weeks. So there's only now two of them on the Can, bill. Just to let, let's um, do the thing we do. Let's be fair to Liz Truss, okay? So, uh, okay, <laughs> those, so... Those mugs are going to take some exactly. shifting on the so, merch shop. So having said the things that I've said and knowing where I stand, um, the the... 
She stands for a certain kind of Laffer curve idea, right, which is you cut taxes and it increases growth and you accompany that with a whole bunch of stimulating policies. I think that uh, for, for economic growth, I think that has got attractions to other conservatives and it has got attractions to a to a demographic actually as well um the problem i've got with it is i don't think it's correct i don't think that's what would happen um and you know i think that is what she experienced in that um in that period in office now the response she might have to that is well we never got to that point we you know the markets uh, incorrectly took the view that what i did wouldn't work and therefore they were spooked and they ran away from it but it would work that's her argument I think that is the the strong case for what she's proposing. But what I would say to her is, even if you are correct, and I, you know, I've suggested the way she is and she isn't, you possibly, Liz Truss, cannot be the front person for it. That is obvious. Peter, there's only one very simple way of understanding this. They think they've lost the election and they're fighting for the soul of the Conservative Party and control and direction of the Conservative Party after the next election. That's what they're doing. Yes, and they're getting was, their, there was a <laughs> hilarious line in the Times uh, on Saturday which said, it's understood that Liz has given up on her leadership ambitions. <laughs> <laughs> which well, I actually laughed as well, given that the Saturday rest of the country has done so as well. as I read that yeah. in, the, uh, in the paper. Um, no. uh, Polly, I just sort of wonder what what the what the she thinks the point of it is. I think it's really tough to give up on a life and career in politics. It's quite hard to do anything else, frankly, because you know. I'm talking about Liz Truss now, not you, Polly. (laughs) Well, she and I we own the same dress, as we've discussed before. So sisters from another Mister. Well, you got yours from a charity shop, though, didn't you? (laughs) Well, I mean that is true. being, you know, being a person, Somebody's you have to put something in Matt's tea to this morning. Yeah. I don't know what's got it. I've been to Downing Street this morning. I've got a bit overexcited. Oh, you're all excited, yeah, aren't you? Yeah, giddy. Mm. You, remember, you must remember going to Downing Street, Peter. I know it was a long time ago now. Once or twice. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Polly, go on. Oh, I can't remember. I went to Downing Street once too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, I, you know, I do, I think that Polly's right, though. Um, you, you know, you're suggesting basically that uh, while she might not want to run for the leadership, she's got an idea and she's sort of going to keep going because what else would she do next? What um, is her big idea? Just well, to break just the bank it. all over again? No, it, it, the, 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 the idea, and it's been a very potent one inside conservative thinking for a long time, is that um, uh, you, you improve growth primarily by removing restrictions from businesses and you can, you can probably cut taxes rap- more rapidly than people think because there's a supply side effect, right? You, 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 you get a, an, an increase in growth as a result of it. I, I am very questioning of that approach and also, so therefore, you know, the bit that was missing in her manifesto seemed to me to be a, a policy of control of public spending to go along with it, which I don't think was, by the way, practical at uh, the time that she was proposing it, given the other things that were happening. So I, I'm, th- th- there's no doubt she has got a central intellectual idea that that idea has got a lot of adherence, um, that it has an intellectual heritage, and that there is a demographic for that kind of optimistic idea. Uh, my problem with it is I don't think it accords with reality. And right from the beginning, I said, I think her biggest problem isn't gonna be, is not going to be winning the Conservative leadership. It's going to be the battle against reality. And in that battle, reality ultimately always wins. But it's the fate of all ideologues, right? Is People say about communism, you know, oh, the reason communism has failed is because real communism has never been tried. 
you know, Liz Truss has the belief that her real free market libertarianism never really got tried because the free markets got in the way of free marketism. It, it's it's almost, um, it would be impossible to surrender that worldview in the face of reality. If you're an ideologue, yeah. Danny is a Bayesian. He changes his <laughs> mind when new facts arise, um, as he, you know, described it to us last week. So, uh, to my mind, those are the kind of people we ought to have as our leaders, people who are willing to adapt and negotiate with reality instead of trying to pretend that there's some sort of imagined version of life uh, over the hill, over the rainbow, wherever it might be. <laughs> very good, very good. Well, in a minute, uh, let's turn on my turn. We'll, we'll, we'll leave Liz Trust to just wallow it, popcorn. Uh, and we're going to talk about focus groups and polling and the extent to which political parties use them, should use them, should they ignore them. Uh, we've got some exclusive uh, polling on Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer. Neither of them come out of it terribly well, has to be said. So we'll do that next on How to Win an Election. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Yeah, this is How to Win Election. I'm Matt Shirley, joined by Peter Manson, Polly McKenzie and Daniel Finkelstein. So, I wanted to talk to you today about polls and focus groups and the extent to which parties do use them or should use them. We've got some new YouGov polling for uh, Times Radio, which shows Britain's delivered an overwhelming thumbs down to both Richie Sunak and Keir Starmer in what's shaping up to be a none-of-the-above election. In a string of key questions on suitability for the job of running the country, voters refuse to choose either Richie Sunak or Keir Starmer with neither topping the polls on a whole string of things of uh, who is statesmanlike, able to handle a crisis, good at leading us in a war, working with President Trump, speaking like a normal person, uh, neither comes out on top. Uh, just 23% of people would be delighted by a Keir Starmer Labour government, although 54% would be dismayed if the Conservatives returned under Rishi Sunak. Uh, obviously, all of this with the uh, the caveat that the Labour Party are still, what, 20, 21 points ahead in the polls. Uh, we've also got a new uh, focus group of, uh, which we've been doing every month on Times Radio since uh, the middle of 2020. Uh, so these are former Tory voters. They voted Conservative in 2019, now say they'll vote Labour. This is what they had to say about both Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer. On all five priorities, we have made progress. Just kind of really smug at the minute. <laughs> I don't know why, just the way he looks. I find him very patronising and um, um, smug. I think he's a bit of an idiot. I think he's a bit of a puppet. To me, he's uninspiring. Just bring it on. Corporate. He comes across uh, um, a lot more enthusiastic and more sincere. Slightly more 
normal and a bit more likeable. A little bit more down to earth than, than other people. He's to the point, there's no wishy-washy with him. Still very privileged, says it as it is, and a fighter and determined. And you'll be able to hear more of the uh, of the focus group on the Politics at the Boring Bits podcast. So, Danny. Matt, give me your bell for Go a on. second. Okay. <laughs> this one really matters. Hey! <laughs> um, so, obviously, uh, <laughs> comparative leadership matters hugely. No one has ever won an election when they're behind on both the economy and leadership. That's where the Tories are. What matters about your poll is not the fact that you've that you've shown that people not generally enthused by both sets of politicians, which, by the way, was even the case with Tony Blair, mm. less, uh, more so with Starmer, but even the case with Tony Blair before 1997. What matters is how people view them comparatively, and there's a pretty clear gap which has opened up. And you can see that, you know, what Rishi Sunak might have hoped the Conservative uh, impressions of the Conservative Party would move to him, instead of which... It's happened the other way around. So I, I really listen very closely to uh, focus groups. I'm sure Peter does too. One of the crucial things in the run-up to 1997, um, you know, was the Conservative Party for a long time didn't have proper focus groups. When it did, it had a tendency to think they were really secret. I kept saying, why would it be secret if it leaked what people thought since they already thought it? Um, <laughs> so I didn't, I couldn't understand why we were keeping it secret and I wanted to share it within the group because it was incredibly valuable. Yeah. Um, so I... I I, I, you know, I know some people say oh, it's not scientific because they're only a group of people. I find it really, really useful in every professional sphere that I'm involved in. I, I get myself involved in um, focus group work, and I find it really, really useful. Polly, what do you think? I, I love focus groups. I mean, the 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 way that you can, uh, you know, bring a group of people together to help remind you as the decision maker, which. Absolutely used in policy as well as politics. The the decision makers are usually weird. You're usually out of touch. You don't know what's going on in the ground. So if you're trying to design a welfare system or uh, a health system, you absolutely need to understand the people and how they are engaging with them. And that qualitative research is exploratory. It's uncontrolled, uh, incredibly insightful. What it doesn't tell you is the representative sample whether these opinions that you're hearing often for the first time are in fact common, uncommon, um, and, and in what demographics they're likely to be held. So you have to pair that qualitative focus group research with quantitative, with polling or with surveys to help you really understand uh, where where ideas are, are landing and, and build actually a kind of strategy for what you do about it. Um, Peter, I've, it's always struck me that there are two th- ways of, of using polls and focus groups. You can either come up with a policy, uh, put it to them, and if it gets a thumbs down, you go, oh, well, we better not do that then. Or, and it, this seems to have slightly fallen out of fashion in politics, if you think a policy is a good idea, you try to find ways of persuading, leading, mm. uh, changing uh, public opinion. Mm. And it seems like sometimes the response to polls and focus groups is a bit literal. They're like, this isn't popular, so we should drop it. That's not, you know, uh, that's proven popular, so we should do more of it. Rather than thinking that the political leaders have any sort of agency in changing political opinion. That's always assuming that the policy was right in the first place. (laughs) And sometimes it wasn't. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, actually uh, rubbish in, rubbish out. You've been badly advised and you've reached a point where actually you've got to 
change the policy, yeah. not least because the facts change and you sort of look it at it again. Work, it, it has to work. Uh, so there's no point in sticking to a policy which is, uh, you know, either not justified or isn't going to work or around which the facts have changed and you've got to, yeah. you know, work it out in a different way. It doesn't mean necessarily mean to say that you're going to lower your ambition. It just means that you're going to do it in a different way. But, Matt, another thing about opinion polls is that they can be used by anyone to tell a particular story. And you've used this YouGov poll in order to make out that the public uh, regards Sunak and Starmer completely equally, a plague on both their houses. And I I've got the poll I in front of I me. And I've got the poll in front of me. Let me make my point. I've got the poll in front of me. And on each of the nine questions that you ask, yep. uh, Starmer is significantly ahead of Sunak. And given what Danny said, which is that... Well, elections... if we're being completely accurate, Peter, he's not ahead on one of them. Uh, Rishi Sunak is ahead on better at working with President Trump. We don't have President Trump. <laughs> uh, we have President Biden. Uh, uh, thank you very much. And he's, uh, and he's ahead by literally one, one point, per point yeah. uh, margin of error. Uh, and, of course, Mr Biden is in office and not Mr uh, Trump. But, but he's, given, but, no, given no, that the Labour Party are 20 points very, ahead in the polls, which is, Keir Starmer is, what, three or four points no, ahead on most no, of these? No, no, but this is very important. And Danny made this point. Politics is comparative. Elections mm. are about a choice. And, OK... Um, uh, there are uh, uh, quite a, a, a lot of people who say, well, both equally, you know, I don't like them either. But in the case of both equally, even that is significantly lower uh, than the support for Keir Starmer on each of those nine questions. Yeah. And where people are making a choice, it's not between sort of, you know, perfection or the ideal. Uh, and somebody. It's between two individuals, two parties and two sets of policies. I think, and who are you going to plump I, for? <laughs> I think Matt was just, you know, because last week you were telling us that we must be very careful not to think, not to get ahead of ourselves for Labour and Matt was just trying to fit in with that, wasn't he? Yes. To share your, to yeah, share your to caution. You've drunk the Kool-Aid since last week, haven't you, Peter? After you, you, no, you wore that I'm whole lead no, was I'm being, being, no, I'm, be, I'm being accurate. Because I think polls have their limitations. Now, let me make my point about polls. And what, why, what, why, why they're limited. First of all, um, the questions you ask, how you ask them, will strongly influence the answers that you get. You can just get about any answer or any conclusion you want from a poll, depending on how you answer and how you analyse, how you ask and how you analyse. It's much better to go into a longer conversation with a representative group uh, of, of, of voters and you can go much deeper and you can probe into what they really uh, think. But two other points on this. First of all, it depends on who's conducting the focus group. And if they're rubbish at focus groups... You know, they don't really understand what they're doing. They've got no experience of talking to voters and they take the wrong conclusions. You know, you, you, you can sort of contaminate uh, the research rather than get answers from it. Philip, so again, rub, rubbish in, rubbish out. But let me make yeah, the okay. third point, okay. uh, which is this. Um, <laughs> it, 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 research is one thing. It's how you convert it into a strategy. It's how yeah. you can convert it into messages. It's how you convert it into the battleground uh, that you're trying to construct and how you're trying to frame the choice yeah. uh, in an election. And the truth is that historically, the Conservatives have been better at that uh, than Labour. I mean, I'm not just talking yeah. about the last 10 years where, of course, it was obvious, but historically. And where Labour 
trumped the Conservatives is when we employed a guy, I recruited a guy to work for the Labour Party in 1985, a guy called Philip Gould. Mm. And together we created something called the Shadow Communications Agency. It was drawn chiefly uh, from really good, professional, sophisticated people working in advertising. They were not just sort of polling people. Uh, they, uh, they, were, they introduced the concept of focus groups uh, uh, to the Labour Party and how they researched, how they analysed and how they developed messages uh, from that uh, from that research and from those focus groups, you know, became a hugely important driver uh, for Labour's uh, later uh, success. So, I mean, that was a good hire, uh, Philip Gould, yeah, and he became the Labour Party's uh, chief strategist and pollster for decades after, and uh, tragically he died after, not long after the 2010 uh, election, and we've missed him ever since, quite honestly. He's not been replaced. It's a great shame. Can, can I ask Polly a question? Um, Polly, I, I, one, of, one of my theses, and you, please you know, correct me because it may, be, may not be right, was that it was, a, it was a significant problem for the Liberal Democrats, both in office and in the campaign, that, that, that it's expensive to have a, uh, these kind of focus groups and opinion polls, and therefore they were being outbought by people. You know, you, you can get real insight. For, you, can't, you can't ask a focus group what your NHS policy would be. That'd be hopeless. But you can, you know, for example, the phrase, we're all in this together, came from a focus group. Uh, it established that people were willing to look after, to, to accept certain sacrifices, providing they felt everyone was having them. Whether or not the Conservative Party lived by that is a different question, but as a, as you know, that insight came out of focus group. So is, it, is my instinct, was my instinct correct? Because I, I mean, it was just an instinct. I have no idea whether from from the front line, it was right. I think it's certainly always a dynamic for smaller parties, including the Liberal Democrats, just that they haven't got the money and the resources or often the all of the experts that you might be able to deploy if you are in one of the bigger parties and you've just got more kind of uh, influence and impact you're more worth working for. Only weirdos, right, end up working for the Liberal Democrats, such as myself. So it's definitely, definitely a dynamic that, that, you know, the focus groups that we would do or the polling, often relatively limited samples, often relatively few numbers of questions. And, and, and that does affect your ability to come up with a great strategy. But of course, the other much bigger dynamic is that in the end, you're the third party in a first-past-the-post system that is brutally uh, sort of prejudiced against you. Because if people know the one most important thing about the Liberal Democrats is that they're probably not going to win, and they're probably not going to win in my seat. And no genius strategy actually can get you past that. So I wouldn't kind of imagine that, oh, if only somebody gave the Liberal Democrats a million pounds and they did some amazing polling, <laughs> then boom, first past the post disappears. If you're a small party, you're a small party. And then, Polly, when you were then, particularly in government and doing policy, was there a tension between the people doing the polling and the focus groups and then you coming up with policy? Because actually, the conversation we've, we've had repeated, there's, there's sort of two big arguments going on. You've got stop the boats, polls lovely goes down well in the focus groups. Nobody quite knows what the policy is to make that happen. £28 billion on green investment. Probably a good idea in terms of, you know, the, the, the green economy and jobs and economy. Quite difficult to explain. You know, in a focus group and polling, probably people wouldn't go. So, so it, did you find when you were a, a pol when you were policy, Mackenzie, in number 10, 
<laughs> do people come along and say, oh, no, the, you know, we need it, it needs to be more, more straightforward and you saying, well, actually, no, this is a really complicated problem? I think it, my reflection on our time in government is that we were hopelessly disconnected, really, from just politics, from thinking really politically in that brutal way about how things were being interpreted by voters. We had, I think, a, a naive assumption that if we... I guess, did our best by the country, that people would understand that and respect it. And do you know what? Like Naivety gets you absolutely nowhere in politics. I think we were just fundamentally wrong. Um, there was one moment where polling really did make the difference on a, on a policy issue, which is on um, plastic bags. So you'll remember that uh, you now have to pay 5p, 10p, sometimes 50p for a plastic bag at the checkout. Um, that was introduced uh, by the coalition government, though it didn't come in until 2015. But we managed to persuade George Osborne in, this is like my finest hour, really, of negotiation, um, when George Osborne said, I'm not going to introduce a £50 million tax uh, on this. And I, I, we passed some polling across the table. We didn't tell him that it was polling of Liberal Democrat considerers, uh, but nevertheless it was. Um, and it suggested that it was ruinously popular to introduce a plastic bag tax, and we persuaded him live in the room with a grand moment of deception. Peter, when you were a uh, when you were sort of in the cabinet, would you listen into focus groups of people talking about you? I have never attended or participated in a focus no, group. No, but you're the king. You're the king life. of... I know I'm the king of focus groups. I know that I presided over their introduction to the Labour Party. I know I created the Shadow Communications Agency in Philip yeah. Gould in order to drive our research, but I've never actually been to one. And I, partly because I had relied on Philip Gould uh, to do that, um, but also because I don't. there's a bit of me that feels, well... Look, I can wait for the readout. I can wait for the report as long as the person doing it is is good enough. And I tell you something, I don't mean this immodestly, but I've never been completely surprised by what I've learned from a focus group. I mean, I've had my instincts reinforced. I've had my sort of prejudices strengthened. Uh, I, I mean, I've been able to sort of tweak, you know, things here and there, but nothing fundamentally Can has I ever been revealed to me in a focus group. Well, okay, so the one thing group. that I've learned a lot from the polling and particularly from focus groups is it's helped inform my view about how disengaged most people are with politics. And you sort of ask them factual questions, they've got no idea what you're talking about. And I once persuaded Newsnight that it would be a good idea to have a, a proper focus group in the studio and uh, to discuss Ed Miliband's. I thought it was pretty interesting because I think when you looked at focus groups, they basically showed he was whole below the waterline. And I thought it was would be very good political reporting. And they agreed to do it. They got this. And then that week, phone hacking began. And so they rang me up and said, we're going to ask the group about phone hacking instead of Ed Miliband. And I said, I really don't do that because they won't have an... Anyway, this programme was a disaster. Nobody... I was on with Deborah Mattinson, who now works for Keir Starmer as doing the focus groups. And she'll, um, you know, she'll, she'll uh, say the same thing. Basically, nobody had anything to say about this. They didn't know who we were talking about. Who was Andy Coulson? What, who, you know, they sort of knew who Rupert Murdoch can, was. Can I give it you was two examples? So, yeah. and, and the people in the BBC were completely shocked by this. And 
the most important thing I learned from focus groups, and Peter's now ingested this, and so have I, I'm sure Polly has too, is that you you no longer you realise people don't know these yeah. things. Give me two. I gave you two examples: one from the eighties, one from the nineties. Nineteen eighties, the Labour Party was struggling with its policy to renationalise everything inside, and we, there was opinion polling done which showed that the public supported nationalisation. That was a bit surprising. So eventually we go into a focus group, a few focus groups, and we discover that once you sort of go below the surface, uh, you, P- A, people are not quite sure what you mean by nationalisation. Secondly, they think that nationalisation state control means that their bills are going to be uh, lower. And thirdly, they don't think you are making a choice between you know lower, lower consumer prices and, and investment, which of course is at the heart of you know, uh, how you manage these great uh, uh, utilities. And so that when you did the focus group, you discovered I had all sorts of sort of questions and queries and reservations about uh, nationalisation, including do you want to use all that money to renationalise an yeah. industry or do you want to use it on a health service? In the 1990s, we had the same over the top rate of tax. Uh, some people, including some people next door uh, to the Prime Minister, Kink, kept coming with uh, <laughs> polls saying... In increasing the top rate of tax is very, uh, very popular. You do focus yeah. groups and you discover actually it triggers all sorts of concerns and reservations people have about labour and tax, whether that uh, top rate is going to go downwards and suddenly suck them into some sort of higher uh, paying bracket, etc. And they become less keen on it the more you probe. So that's the importance of focus groups yeah, yeah. as opposed to polls. But I suppose yeah, that yeah. also goes to the idea of, of, of political leadership and then you have to try and make an argument for something. Right, enough questions from me. Uh, let's do some of the questions that uh, you've sent in. We've had this question in from Matthew Dowick Thompson. My name is Matthew and I'm listening to you at the moment in Japan and Singapore, though back in the UK soon. I'd like to know which of you has met the most Prime Ministers. They don't have to be in power when you met them and you can define met pretty widely if you like. Um, for example, if Winston Churchill dandled Peter Mandelson on his knee, that would count as a meeting. So over to you. Thanks. So there we are. Polly, let's, as, let's be honest, you're, you're half the age of everyone else. Um, uh, how many have you met? Uh, I think five. Blair, very briefly. And weirdly enough, he kind of looks like my dad. So I was sort of chatting to him and felt like we were... <laughs> Asking him how the garden was. So anyway, Blair Brown, Truss, uh, Cameron, I feel like one other. Can't remember. Anyway, um, they also ran in this Sunak? competition. Boris no, Johnson. never met him. Never met Boris Johnson either. No. That's only th- that's only four. Blair Brown, oh, well, Cameron, May, Theresa May. You must have met. Oh Theresa yes, May. Theresa May. Theresa May once lent me a towel when I got caught in a rainstorm on the way to her office. So she's my favourite. <laughs> there we are, uh, Danny. How many do you think you you can clock up? Eleven. Eleven. Wow. Oh, but, but I must admit that both uh, Ted Heath and um, Harold Wilson were pretty fleeting. Harold Wilson really just came to my... He had his son at the same school as me, and I went. I met him at a speech day, uh, so it doesn't really count. Ted Heath I met did meet a couple of times at political events to do with the Conservative Party. But then after that, um, the, the one I really regret not meeting is Jim Callaghan, because I discovered when writing a book about my family that he was a pretty good friend of my grandfathers and I found him a very compelling uh, character so they were they were friends for many you know for 
25 years. So I, 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 it would have been great to have met him, but I, I didn't. Margaret Thatcher obviously was an extraordinary person to me and um, everything that you would think he was, she was, it was very difficult to get a kind of word in edgeways. And then I've worked with quite a few Conservative Prime Ministers and met obviously Tony Blair and Gordon Brown with varying de- who were varying degrees of cordial. <laughs> Struggling to get a word in edgeways, I can't possibly imagine. Peter, how many do, do you think you can clock off? I'm nearer 14. 13, 14? 14, yeah. Wow. Uh, but, I, you know, I don't want to engage in one-upmanship. You know? <laughs> Nonsense. You like nothing but... But, but... Oh, but. I was, I was introduced to yeah. the post-war Labour Prime Minister, Clement Attlee. Wow. When I was 11 years old. Yeah. And I was introduced to him... What, at the end of the Second World War? You were I 11? I was introduced to him yeah. in 1965 oh, okay. by the then Prime Minister, Harold Wilson. So one Prime Minister introduced me to wow. another Prime Minister. And at the time... We were in 10 Downing Street. Amazing. All right, you win that one. Uh, can I have the bell, please? Oh, yeah. Thank you. All right, very good. Uh, <laughs> so you've got 40. I think I managed eight, but who cares about me? Uh, don't forget, if you want to send your questions, you can email howtowin at thetimes.co.uk. Howtowin at thetimes.co.uk. Attach a voice note if you can, and we're going to do a, a question special uh, next week. Uh, so uh, do that. Uh, my thanks to uh, Peter Madison, Paul McKenzie, Danny Finkelstein. I was Matt Chorley. That was How to Win an Election. 